0: All right, well, we're going to take some time for prayer here later tonight, but why don't we take our Bibles and go to Psalm chapter 78 tonight. Psalm chapter 78. And there is so uh, so much packed into this one psalm that we've been looking at about how God is faithful to Israel and how we can be sure of God's faithfulness to us. A couple weeks we started looking at this second largest psalm in all of psalms, and we saw that the glorious truth that God is ever faithful. He will always be faithful to us. No matter the flaws of of our life, no matter uh, the times we mess up, God is ever faithful. And then last week we saw really a recipe for disaster in Israel's life. How their disobedience... Their doubt and their selfish desires were taking them further and further away from where God wanted to lovingly have them. And tonight, I want to begin uh, the first part of really a two-part message of God's righteous dealings with Israel and how we can apply this to our own lives here in, in the 21st century of God's of how we know that God will righteously deal with us. The choices that God makes in our life will always be right. They will always be perfect. And you'll see as we begin reading that Israel's heart was one that did not want to get in trouble. You know how a kid does not want to get in trouble, but, uh, but they also want their own way? That's much how Israel was. They didn't, want to get, they didn't want the evil hand of God brought upon them in the sense of, of consequences, but they didn't want to follow them. God in his righteousness dealt with Israel and ultimately led them to safety out of that. God's dealings with us are always personal, precise, and perfect. And that's three things that we're going to look at tonight. Look with me as we begin reading in Psalm 78 and verse 34 verse 34 when he slew them then they sought him and they returned and inquired early after god and they remembered that god was their rock and the high god their redeemer nevertheless they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues for their heart was not right with him Neither were, there, were, there steadfast, were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Father, I pray tonight that as we look to your word and, and see this example of Israel before us, uh, Lord, I thank you for how you're working in Israel today, how even today you have not forgotten your people. And Lord, tonight as, as sons and daughters of the king, as, as sons and daughters of a loving heavenly father, we come to you knowing that your dealings with us are, are perfect. They are precise. They are personal. And God, I'm asking you tonight to to show us your love and that your love would uh, conquer any weaknesses or even uh, bring us back from any sins that we're involved in, Lord. I pray that you'd you'd conquer us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I don't know about you, but as a kid, I grew up reading a lot of comic books. Um, Sunday morning was my favorite day of the week. Not because of church, but because that's when the funny paper came. That's what I called it as a kid. That's when the comic strips came to the house in the, in the Sunday morning paper. And I would read anything from Calvin and Hobbes to Garfield and Snoopy and all of that. And so my brain many times works like that. And I, I thought about this, this, this idea of God's dealings with Israel and God's dealings with us when he makes choices with us. Uh, It is not like uh, some comic strip, a a comic character trying to defuse a bomb and the timer's going down, and uh, he has to make a decision between a red wire and a blue wire, and oh no, what am I going to do? That is not a picture of what God is thinking about us. That is the total opposite. God is not under any pressure. He's not sitting up there wringing his hands with our flaws and our, and our, uh, our, our humanity saying, oh no, what am I going to do now with her? What am I going to ever do with him? I am praise the Lord tonight that that's not our God. That is not who our God is. God's dealings with us are always personal, precise, And perfect and that's what I want to begin with tonight they are personal look at the beginning of verse 34 it says when he slew them they sought after him you may say why did God have to go to that extent and sadly it took that extreme for Israel to turn back to God but God's dealing with them was personal so personal that he knew the correction that it would take for them to start looking up again and start looking after him. And God was righteous in doing that. He was righteous in judging sin. But even then, when they started to turn back to him, and the Bible says that they returned, they inquired early after God, verse 35, they remembered that God was their rock. Even though they did that, their seeking was, it was was sincere, but it was sincerely half-hearted and double-tongued. Verse 36 tells us that. It says, Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. It was a sincere half-heartedness and double tongue. And many times we could do we can fall into that same kind of service to God is God, I, I want you in my life, but I'm only going to seek after you half-heartedly. I'm not going I'm not I'm not going to come after you with all that I am. Like David said, Lord, my heart is fixed. My heart is, my heart is fixed. I, I, I seek hard after you. And here, uh, Alexander McLaren was a, uh, a Scottish Baptist minister of the 18th century. And when, when looking at this passage, he said, Such seeking after God, which is properly not seeking him at all, but only seeking to escape from evil neither goes deep nor lasts long. Spurgeon put it this way, they were false on their knees, they were liars in their prayers. Mouth worship must be very detestable to God when dissociated from the heart. Other kings love flattery, but the king of kings abhors it. To us here tonight, God is not looking for lip service from Christians. God is not looking for those who say, I am a Christian, or will in, 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 uh, in, in the workplace or out and about say, yes, I'm a Christian, but then not follow hard after God, who's not a disciple of Christ. Our half-heartedness is not a sweet-smelling savor to God. It is a show of, of one that, that, that really uh, is, is going to heaven but as far as when it comes to doing the work of God, it is without a pulse. It is, without, it is showing no life. In verse uh, 36, we see that uh, in verse 36 really through 38. Let's read that once again. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant." But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity. Now, well, one might read that and say, well, why, does, why is God forgiving their sin when there's no real repentance? Does God forgive us when we're half-hearted in our repentance? And what's, what's not here but is implied was the fact that there was an advocate in the middle of this situation between Israel and God. There was an advocate, his name was Moses. And there were many times that he went before God for the people and said, God, don't do this. <laughs> if you destroy the people, our enemies are going to look at us and laugh. And God was right to be angry at Israel. He was holy. He, is, uh, uh, he, he, he hates sin. It is very distasteful to the Lord what they were doing. Their unbelief uh, smelled in God's nostrils. But here, when, whenever, and you can read the entire Bible, whenever someone comes to God and repents and says, God, would you do this? Would you have mercy? God's first response is mercy all the time. And so that's what we find here. The, the, this, these times that God showed compassion were because someone came and said, God, would you do this? Today, we have one advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when we sin, there is one going before the Father day and night (laughs) saying, but I paid for it. I paid for it. Do you realize when you get to heaven, none of your sin is going to be brought up? None of it. I know there are some people that say, oh, you're going to get up there and the the story of your life is going to be played before your eyes and you'll have to answer for all the... You're not going to have to answer for one sin. Why? It's gone. You you remember the song, Gone, 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 gone? Uh, Yes, my sins are gone. Yeah, it's true, because the Bible says it. You're not going to be up there answering for sin because Jesus' blood paid it all. Even the sins that you've done today, Jesus is up there saying, it's paid for. God, I, I I paid for it with my blood. Praise the Lord for that. It shouldn't give us reason to sin any longer but it should only help us to to stay in right fellowship with Christ that we shouldn't want to sin anymore because of his blood his righteousness notice what this passage says about God notice what it says starting in verse 38 it says that he is full of compassion that he forgives iniquity that he destroyed them not He turned his anger away. He did not stir up all his wrath. And this last one really shows us how personal God is when when he says throughout Scripture that this here in verse 39 was was a part. He allowed it to be a part of his decision-making when it came to why he didn't destroy them. He remembered that they were but flesh. God doesn't forget things. Okay, When it says he remembered, it doesn't mean that God forget and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that they were human. That's not what he's saying there. God is saying, I know. I know you're only human. How gracious on the Lord's part to make it To make man's insignificance an argument for staying his wrath. Spurgeon said that. Our God is personal when dealing with us. He knows you. And He wants to be long suffering to you. He knows we're weak and frail. He wants to come, He wants us to come to know the riches of His grace, His supernatural enablement, His strength unlike israel that turned it away and chose rather to provoke to continue to provoke the lord verse 40 how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert god's workings his dealings with israel were were personal but they were also precise <clears throat> as as israel continues to provoke God, they also turned back, verse 41, yea, they turned back and tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, in one sense, it's impossible for us as, a, as creatures, creation, to limit the creator. It's uh, He cannot be, his sovereign will cannot be limited. But, There is a sense in which man can hinder or limit God's work from moving forward in his life when God's working in someone's life requires that man have faith, belief. Do you realize that it's God's will for every man, every woman, to come to know him as Savior? But there is going to be one thing that hinders that in many a life. What? Unbelief. There's a biblical illustration of this when Jesus was here on earth. He was in his own hometown of Nazareth. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, the Bible tells us, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. As believers, we need to pray that us as a church body, as believers together, that we do not become limiters of God because of our unbelief. Today, um, I was working with the electrical work, and and uh, there's there it hasn't gone perfect. I'll just put it that way. Uh, there have been many times where uh, the first day um, they came in and uh, they had the wrong bulbs, and they said, "Hey, is this going to be okay?" I'm like, "Okay, you know, all right, fine." You know, they called me previous to that and said, "We can bring these if we if you choose this, we'll bring it today." If not, well, they got that there the first day, and even that one was the wrong one. And then they uh, went back, they said, okay, we'll have the right one today. And they came back this morning, and that one was the wrong one. And so I was, I, I was pretty downcast. And uh, for me to choose to, and I, I chose to be downcast. I chose to, to kind of pity and kind of roll up in, in, the, in the corner of my heart. And and it felt good to kind of, you know, moan in my own selfishness. And uh, I'm telling you that that choice to be downcast is believing a lie that God won't work things out. And that's, I'm I'm just giving you a very practical, transparent illustration of my own life is that when we you know choose to be downcast or choose to not believe God in certain areas of our life that can be something as simple as a light bulb it's it's choosing saying God I'm not going to choose to believe that you can work this out for the good and I am going to limit you I'm going to limit what you can do in my own heart to to build trust for for uh, toward my God and I'm going to choose to limit uh, how how much how how you can teach me uh, that that you you have love for me and that you can work all of this out God wants to teach me about himself and and uh, he doesn't want me to limit his work moving forward with all of those lives as I read verses 20, 42 through 51, a little bit more of a lengthy passage now. I want you to notice how God's dealings with Israel are precise. He precisely dealt with their unbelief all the way back to Egypt. And this is what Asaph is reminding us of. He's reminding us of back in Egypt when they didn't believe that God would deliver them and how God very precisely did specific things. They couldn't question that this was God. Look at verse 42. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. And now Asaph is going to remind us of what that day was like. Verse 43. How he wrought the signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan and turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of frogs in my day. I've never, I've never seen a frog destroy someone. But I'm going to tell you, they had frogs in their bed. They had frogs in their oven. They had frogs everywhere. They, when they woke up to brush their teeth, the frog jumped out. There, I've never seen a frog break someone but it broke Pharaoh to the point where he came to Moses and said it's enough i'm I'm tired of of running across my living room and hearing squish, squish 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 all the way all the way to eat my cereal um, but this he says frogs which destroyed them. God knew precisely what would break these people and cause all the ultimately the deliverance. I mean, if, if you wanted to destroy someone, if, if I was the military leader, if I was in God's shoes, I would just say, okay, send in an army, you know, attack and deliver this people. God knew precisely what it would take, and it took an army of frogs. <clears throat> Verse 46, he gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to the hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to the pestilence and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham. God's dealing, his dealings with this unbelieving nation of Israel were so precise that they knew that God was the one doing this. God was the one liberating them from their enemy. And now God would perfectly lead them safely. And that brings us to our final point tonight. God's dealings with us are always perfect. Look at verse 52. But made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. When you get to this point in the chapter, you almost have to sit back or at least I did and you have to ponder everything that he that Asaph just spoke about Israel just the, the, the fact that they are unbelieving and God is the one who safely leads yet it's, it's all this and yet God is this way and the only thing that I can say is what a God we have what a God we serve. There is no God beside him, like Isaiah says. And uh, the other thought that I had as I sat back and pondered it is, what love is this? There's, there's no love that, that would cause anyone to take a sinful, unbelieving people and want to lead them safely to a place where you had purchased there's nothing like that and yet Christ's love is so unconditional it's like that that's that's our God that's the same God that died for you and for me the same loving God that wants to personally precisely and perfectly lead you is the same God that did that to Israel will you let him will you allow him to draw you that way Will you allow him to lead you to a point where you are seeking hard after him with your life and not just seeking him half-heartedly, giving him lip service that, yes, you know, I'll, I'll serve you someday. I'll, 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 I'll be a disciple of you someday, Christ, but, you know, right now my life is my own. No, your life is not your own. You're bought with a price. And tonight, I pray that your heart would be to allow him to perfectly, precisely, and personally lead you to where you need to be. Let's pray.